Hi, this is Gene. Welcome to our season finale. And today we're going to be bringing you all together with us because we're talking about community. Come on, people now. Sing with me. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. That was Jesse Cullen Young. And I promise there will be no more singing for the rest of this podcast. You can sing Come Together. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Gene Bresson. And I'm Steve Schlossman. So, Steve, um, what's up with you? What's been, what's been the last, what's the last week been like? <laughs> the week or two? Uh, it's been good. It's been a good week. Um, I, uh, I'm trying to figure out where to start on this. I'm, uh, we always talk about our families. I'm missing my older daughter whose college year doesn't until the middle of June, so I don't get to see middle her. Middle of June? Yeah, they go late uh, on the West Coast. Which really? Is she is, yeah. That's ridiculous. Uh, but um, it's been fun to sort of see her find the things that she's interested in, find topics that uh, she never even knew existed, like anthropology and cultural linguistics and really cool stuff that I don't know anything about, too. So I get to rediscover this stuff. And then, and then with my younger daughter, she's reading To Kill a Mockingbird, and there's, oh, well, what's man. better, right? So we're, um, we're reading it together because wow. it's like the 50th time I've read it, and it's the first time she's read it. And then at some point, we'll watch the movie with Gregory Peck, and I'm psyched for that. And the other day, we saw an old deserted house, and I said, you think Bo Radley lives there? Yeah, she said, no, his house would be scarier. <laughs> so, yeah, a good place. How about you? That's great. Well, um... You know, the weather has been pretty crummy. That's what you're going to do. You're going to talk about weather. No, no, no. I'm going to talk about gardening. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because actually, you know, I've had some, you know, I've been way out of shape and, you know, um, wanted to get back into shape and I've been doing some... So you're gardening. So like aerobic gardening. gardening. But the weather has been so cold and crummy up here in Boston. Um, But this past weekend has been like spectacular. And so I, I was out in the garden... Three days in a row. I mean, digging, moving stuff, planting stuff, like ripping stuff out, like you know, and 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 boy, was I sore. But you know, so I thought you were going to make gardening into like a metaphor for mental health, and this is, that's what we. Well, talk actually, about. it is gendered, and it's interesting that you say that because sometimes gardening is meditative, like especially weeding, like you know, the rhythmic, yeah, rith, you know, like rhythmically kind of pulling out the weeds, planting, transplanting, and the early stuff and digging and mulching is like really hard work. But then what's really cool about it is that when you're done and you're really sore and you walk around and you can see things and it rains, which it did, and things kind of really look They spring to life. And they're springing to life and they're growing. It's like Really cool. So yeah, I, yeah. No, actually, that reminds me. There is something I wanted to say here, and it's actually apropos to our topic today, which is to talk about community and, yeah, and the importance yeah. of those things. I, I had my uh, medical school reunion this weekend, and I, and I went down, and one of my colleagues, uh, Rohina Gandhi Hoffman, um, she has published the coolest book. She's a really um, established photographer right now, and her newest book is called Hair Stories, and it's pictures of women, really art 
you know, artsy yeah. pictures of women and how they wear their hair, and then stories of why they wear their hair that way. Huh. She's a neurologist by training, but she really got into this. And it's it's if folks can find it, it's this is a unsolicited plug for the book. I, I, no one's <laughs> asking me to do this. I just think it's really neat because a lot of it's about identity and about how folks from different communities, when they come together and share their stories, mm-hmm. actually don't feel alienated. They feel closer. Yeah. We, we actually want to share stories. Well, remember our esteemed graduate who uh, was a f- professional photographer and and did a whole series on tattoos. Oh yeah, yeah. No, and, Andres Martin. Andres Martin. Yeah. And 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 it was he had a little studio right right near the hospital, and he would yeah. bring people in, and he would have them. He would take these beautiful black and white f- photographs. And, of, and this of, was we should be clear. This was before tattoos were were absolutely common. like they right. But my mentor Tom Hackett, one of the things that he would whenever there was a patient in the hospital with a tattoo, he would say. You must ask for the story behind that that image, and and Andres came in, and this was way before tattoos were really popular. Was like doing just that. He was he was like uh, really so fascinated are, by the we stories. Are, therefore, as a nice segue into our topic, we are demonstrating right now the importance of knowing stories about each of our communities and recognizing the place where those communities become a Venn diagram, right, where, where, where they overlap. I know Andres in a different way than you know Andres. You yeah. trained him. He that was, was his training director. one of yeah. my colleagues. <laughs> so I think what we want to talk about today is the ways that we can keep ourselves healthy, mentally healthy, but just healthy generally, that are right right there in front of us, relatively easily accomplished. They don't involve psychiatrists. They don't involve psychologists. They don't involve clinicians. They involve... Uh, being civil, being together. Well, and people coming together. So, 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 like your class, and like many classes, and like communities, and like people that come together, like Porch Fest that just happened in in Somerville. People convening for various different things, whether they're concerts or tailgate parties. Actually, or, say, say we're, we, not everybody knows about Porch Fest. We, we've got one in the town I live in too. I actually met the founder of the Porch Fest movement, which is pretty cool. But tell tell people what it is. I think it's really neat. Well, these musicians will are playing on their porches in, in Somerville. So it's not like a musician you hire. It's somebody who lives who in lives that in the house. house and they right. go out on they go out on their porch and they invite a few friends over or people that are living in that house or in the neighborhood and they're playing and you walk from porch to porch and and just enjoy yourselves with other people who are local who are playing music right out on the porches and, and it becomes fasc- a community event. Right. And what's fascinating to me about that is at least when we had it in our neighborhood and when I've read the stuff about Porch Fest on, online and, and in articles, you actually meet people who live two houses down from you and you didn't know they were there. Right, right. You, you, not let alone you didn't know they could play guitar or you know whatever they happen to be doing because at least in the Porch Fest that we had in our town, it wasn't just music. There were recitals, there were poems, there was... Poetry um, meetings, yeah. Yeah, there was food. People yeah. would cook stuff and leave it out and you didn't know, you didn't know these people in the first so, place so but you didn't know what they... Were, so besides were. meeting new people, besides you know enjoying music and art and together, there is a scientific basis, which is one of the things we should talk about today, for what does it mean in the brain? What does it mean biologically? What does it mean scientifically? What happens when people come together? And so let me just begin, and then you can elaborate because you're the neuroscientist here, but the brain releases oxytocin and other neurochemicals, dopamine, um, endorphins that actually make you feel good and connected and engaged with yeah. others. And there really is a bi- biological changes in the brain that promote 
feel good feelings when you're connected with others. Yeah, right? there's a there's a word they use for it in, in the research. If you look it up, there's this term affiliative behavior, affiliative feelings, which is d- literally directly the result, especially of oxytocin. That's like the yeah. hot one to study now. Right. But before we go there, I'm, I'm happy to talk yeah. about the research. I think we should. But let's take a step back. Isn't it bizarre that we need scientific data to tell us that hanging out with each other is a good thing? Well, I don't think we need it uh, as much as um, it helps us understand it in a different way. But, uh, but I, I see what you're going, where you're going because you don't need to kind of learn the science of the neurobiology of connectedness to know that when you're with other people... Yeah, if, I, if I'm thirsty, feeling really good. I don't need to know the neurobiology of no. where my thirst no. comes from. What I need to do is drink some water, yeah. right? And, and then I feel better. It's not like I knowing the neuroscience. The reason I think we need this now is that we are in such a data-driven society, right? Yeah. We're such an information-driven society that people almost feel like they need kind of scientific permission to, to hang out, to, yeah. to, to do things that we've known since people have been people. Well, it's, are kind, good of like, for it's, us. it's kind of like saying you should exercise because it releases endorphins to make you feel better rather than you just feel good when you exercise right. and, you st- and you get fit and you, you, you feel better right. so living I'm not, in I'm, your own body. Right. So I'm not <laughs> belittling the research at all. I think it's actually absolutely fascinating. That's why I love to read yeah. it and, and write about it. But what I'm saying is that we know this. We've experienced this without seeing the data. If somebody said, geez, I can't find the scientific reason that being a tight community yeah. makes me feel good, therefore I will no longer be a tight community, I wouldn't I would say that's a bad idea. Yeah. I would say it's a bad idea. You don't just because you haven't found the scientific reason yet doesn't mean there's not one there. A feeling is a feeling is a feeling. And it's gonna it's not gonna come from your liver. It comes from your brain, right? And so we can start there at least. So wh- what do we know? We know that when folks hang out with each other, all of those uh, hormones and neurotransmitters that you just mentioned, and in particular oxytocin, oxytocin. and dopamine, those are the two biggies, right. right, that are connected with feeling good. Now, they might be connected with feeling good in ways that actually aren't so good for us. Dopamine might be connected with feeling good when you're gambling, when you probably right. shouldn't be. But it turns out that dopamine, a neutral player, helps you to feel good. And when you combine that with the oxytocin, that gets created, that makes us feel affiliated right. with each other. And, there's, and, there's, and, and you know, this may be teleological or an ex- explanation of, of, of evolution, but we're wired and we're chemically wired to be connected with each other, and, and there are very good reasons for that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so I, that, that's... From an evolutionary standpoint. Yeah, because we do better as a pack than we do on our we're own. We're pack animals. Yeah, and in fact, that's one of the things that happens in communities. There's been a lot of really interesting research about this. Communities can function on their own without a narrative, without a mythology to them, if they get to around 20, 30 people. But if you get to more than 50 people, you gotta have some binding narrative. Okay, and that can be our, our downfall as well as the thing that draws us and together. And be the binding narrative like going to church or synagogue yeah. and having some kind of a, a story yeah. or a scripture or a belief system that, you, that, that, right. that brings you all together. That everybody buys into. They right. don't buy into it exactly the same way, but they all buy okay. into it. And you can see how this could create tribes, right? Because mm-hmm. someone's in yeah. this tribe and sure. not in that tribe. Sure. But it turns out, and this is what's really, really neat, there have been a number of studies done very recently that show that people from different quote-unquote tribes, meaning I have this binding narrative and the people down the street have a different binding narrative, when they share those narratives in, in a kind of 
unjudgmental way or non-judgmental way, you actually lower cortisol levels. You make people less stressed. Cortisol measures stress. You make people more immunocompetent. They are better able to fight off disease. You actually decrease depression. All of these have been shown all the way down to the level of a molecule. So these binding narratives actually work better when we trade them with each other. They actually mm -hmm. make us all feel better. And yet we have this culture that set us up to keep our binding narratives separate. And so one of the things I want to encourage people to do is, is actually learn about their neighbors, even if their neighbors are not like them. You mean learn their stories. Yes. Yeah. Find out where they're from. You mentioned the tattoo. Find out why you got that tattoo. How'd you get that tattoo? They have a big tattoo on their arm. It seems silly not to mention it. Bring it up. Uh, see, see what people have to say about it. So the other piece of this, I know I'm going on and on here about the neuroscience, but the other piece that's really cool is this concept of mirror neurons. Right. So mirror neurons, you, you know what? Empathy. Yeah. So, Because so, you can feel another people. You're, 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 when, you, when you're in, empathically in touch with another person, your mirror neurons, are, they, they tweak. Right, right. So let me ask you this. How would you differentiate sympathy from empathy? Because they're both important. Well, sympathy is, for example, feeling bad for somebody if something, you know, tragic happens to them. You know, it, it's com it's being compassionate. Empathy is feeling their feelings. Right. Is actually having their feelings internalized. Being in, in their in, shoes. In, being, being, all right. And that's what the mirror you know, neurons walk, That's do. why we have these sayings, walk a mile in my shoes. Right, right. So here's what we know about mirror neurons. Uh, and and. I should stress here that mirror neurons are at the theoretical level. Something gets measured in the brain. They have been called mirror neurons. We don't actually know what that means, but we know that in primates with in, introduced electrodes, in humans where we don't stick electrodes in their brains for experiments, but we can measure this with EEG readings, electrical readings, as well as functional MRI. If I watch you having a cup of coffee, I'm not only going to imagine picking up a cup of coffee and having it myself if I'm in the mood for coffee, but I'm going to taste the taste coffee, you, right. and I'm even going to feel more awake from the caffeine that you're drinking, which is totally weird. In fact, it's by definition psychotic. I'm responding to a stimulus that you're having. Well, it's psychotic, but, but let's, let's look at it also at a level of, say, a parent and an infant. So, for example, for you to be empathically, for your mirror neurons to be tweaked when your baby is distressed or when your baby is happy, it, it not only helps you connect with them and they can eventually connect with you, promotes attachment, yep. it promotes understanding, it promotes being seen as the child grows older. So it, it's, 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 um, uh, it's not just feeling the other person's feelings, but there's a connection that's, that's being made. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember holding my, I think I've told this story maybe on the air, I can't remember, holding my uh, oldest daughter when she was a baby, and um, she was she was a little colicky, and her you, I could feel like her stomach hurting. She was kind of bloated, and um, I was thinking, oh, I hope she feels better soon. Hope she feels better soon. And then I farted, and I thought, oh, she'll feel better now. Um, and I was thinking, well, it doesn't work that way. Like my fart is my fart, her fart is her fart. But I was I was at that point feeling her pain. Now you could that can go too far, right? Like right. where if I don't know where I end and she begins, or, right. or vice versa, right. which I know is getting deep into kind of shrink land yeah. here. But if we take a step back into the world of mirror neurons. What this means is that if you see somebody in your community even struggling to um, get a door open, yeah. you feel their struggle, right. literally. And then if you open that door, 
they'll feel your kindness and they'll feel more kind. This is, this is truly a pass it forward moment, but it doesn't have to always be positive. And that's the risk here, right? Like you can, you can go out in anger, right? You can be angry and yell at somebody for driving too fast on your street and it will come back at you because they're experiencing that anger as if they're angry. So, so just to shift this a little bit in a different direction, um, do you think, um, uh, well, maybe I'll posit it the yeah, other way. This sounds like I, a, th- a leading th- question. <laughs> well, no, no. <laughs> are we getting? Are we because of the digital age? Because of 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 our busy, stressed out lives? Of doing too many things? More and more disconnected from people. Are we not coming together as much as we perhaps should? Um, as communities, what do you? Th- I mean, I, I think it's more complex than that. But what do you think? I mean, I can tell you. My- well, I think that's one of many things why people. What? What? Maybe. Maybe it's my fear. Maybe my my concern is is that um, you know when I was growing up, and I remember just riding my bike to a place where I'd meet with other kids, or you know, or or, or going to, to 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 events in in my in my town, or or hanging out with other people. I, I worry a little bit that um, we're not hanging out as much with each other so here's, as we used to. Yes. So here's what I think is going on. It's not that we're not connected. We're super connected. Right. We're more connected than we've ever been. But we're mistaking agreement with community. So you connect with the people that you agree with. Those are the Facebook groups you're in. Those your are Instagram, the Reddit you know, and, trends you go on, your Instagram, all of the various platforms that actually... And, and interestingly, Instagram tells stories. So, so those kinds of narratives probably do not have the same power. I think they have power, but what you forget is that there might be another story that you could tell or hear in some setting that you wouldn't have found had you just stuck within your yeah. own social media circles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the mistake. You're, we're sort of deciding that, oh, I have a community. I have all these Facebook friends. But we're all just echo chambers at that point. Right. Whereas I have a community. It's, it's the, the folks I got to live on the same street with. And rather than sort of fight it, I'm going to try and understand them. You don't have to agree with them. That's the other piece of this. You don't. In fact, it's bad if everybody agrees with everybody. But we have to figure out how in a civil way to talk about it. And I'm not just saying that because it's nice. I'm saying that because it keeps us healthier. doesn't keep us healthy to bottle in our opinions, nor does it keep us healthy to fight with everybody about our opinions. Well, it probably helps us, you know, developmentally and in terms of developing perspective to, to understand differing perspectives. You know, it's like understanding people from different cultures, for example, that have different beliefs and different histories and different ways of perceiving the world probably, not probably, it's enriching. Even microcultures, like different political beliefs, for example, on on the same, you don't want to ostracize somebody who doesn't believe what you believe. You want to try and understand and figure out where there's common ground. And I'll tell you the most important reason this is good for mental health is that you are therefore modeling to your children because they're watching. And it's not just your kids are watching, all the kids are watching. They're watching the adults, and if they see the adults not willing to hang out with somebody else because they have some disagreements, they will take that as the proper way to be. That, and by that, I mean the thing that's best for them health-wise, and it turns out that will make them sicker. That will make them more susceptible to illness. That will make them more susceptible to psychological problems, and we owe them better. Uh, it, we just have to remember that, especially given that every other day it feels like someone's trying to provoke a fight. And, and just to... to, to riff on that a little bit, but take it in another direction. One of the more important aspects in school that all of our kids go to 
um, is, um, is kind of the social-emotional learning and the group activities and the group projects that I think are increasingly rare. Schools yeah. are where you learn community. Right. Right? I mean, and homeschools, they often have their own. People are homeschooling, they have their own community that they get together with. But that's where you learn and how so to be And so we really want to promote more group-oriented projects, group-oriented activities, um, uh, learning together and learning with each other and from each other in our schools and not just memorizing and studying for the test, you know, which a lot of a lot of so a lot of teachers and a lot of students you know yeah. are, are doing because that's 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 the standard now is, is how what kind of a high grade am I going to get on the test and that requires solo studying right and that would be uh, okay if there w- except that we've taken away all of the places where the kids can come together right like not just in the school I mean here's here's the problem with trying to get all this into a, a single podcast because we're running out of time here yeah there's there's a huge amount of data that's really interesting to see there's a huge amount of topics what I think we should do is put on our website links to this data to stuff we've written about but also just to some of the articles and folks can dig as deep as they want to dig but most importantly as we enter what is sure to be yet again a, a fairly divisive or potentially divisive uh, summer we had to figure out how to turn that around. Clearly, our leaders are not going to do that for us. It's it's really up to us to do it. Yeah, uh, and I think we're up for it. I think that's a great idea. Let's let's challenge our audience to well, let's challenge each other. Okay. Why don't we say this? Why don't we challenge the audience to come up with something that they're going to do between now, the end of this podcast, and, and the, the next, next time pod- we happen to be on the air? Because this is our last podcast of the season. Because we are academic types, so we ramp down at the end of the academic season. The city of Boston empties out. You can drive anywhere in 15 minutes. But we will look forward to speaking with you all again when the leaves are changing colors and there's a new academic year afoot. And And write into us and tell us what, what you've done in, you know, in, in your past, in the present, what you're going to be doing in the future right. to, to meet this right challenge. Write into uh, us? That sounds like brand. You only wanted to brand right us? Into you, us. Right, into right, right to, to us. us. Right yes. to us. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Much better. You, you were an English major. I, yeah, I'm a pain. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> okay, that's all right. And so you and I will both say what we have done in the next podcast that has been a community type of activity. Yeah, connecting others. But we would love ourselves with others. to push this challenge out there, too. We would love people who hear this to write to us and tell us what they've done because the best way this will work is to make this a community. But, but we want to know what, you, what you're doing in terms yeah. of making community, and that's yeah. really important. Yeah. Okay. Now, as we um, say goodbye, what's, what's moved you in the news in the last week, Steve? I, first of all, I'm going to make a conscious effort right now <laughs> to stay away from the politics, not because I don't think they're important. They, they, they are super important, and I think we should be able to discuss them, as we just said, in a civil way. But I actually found myself reading uh, with just utter fascination the discovery of this gargantuan planet that should be vaporized in, in what's called the Neptune region. It's not near the planet Neptune. It's in this desert area of the universe that uh, is it's a desert area because the stars are so bright that the radiation just demolishes the planets. And yet there's this planet that's something like 10 times the size of our planet and it somehow has an atmosphere and nobody knows why. And so that got me reading about what other things people don't know why about. And this object, which passed the Earth back in March, this cigar-shaped object just shot by it was the weirdest thing, and there was an astronomer at Harvard who said, look, I don't know what it is, but among the things it could be is an alien probe. And I thought, wow, 
that's kind of cool. A, a UFO? Well, he didn't call it that. He called it an <laughs> alien probe. He said it's very strange for something of this shape to come this close to our planet to be moving at this speed. We don't have a good explanation of how it be of why it behaves the way it behaves. And I thought, geez, if an alien probe showed up to probe us, and I don't want to go into depth on that, uh, I'd get on the spaceship. I mean, I figure one way or another they're going to take me anyhow. I want to see what it's like. I, I think if it landed, you would you would get on. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. See so you that, see you later. Yeah, that's what's. <laughs> look, it's better than politics here. So um, that's that's what was on my mind. Uh, well, I'll tell you what's been on my mind, and it's wanted me to kind of like get out of here is um is climate change, and I won't get into the politics of it. But what I but but what 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 really troubles me um, are you know forty nine tornadoes last week in the Midwest, floods. What I've been thinking about is um, what can we collectively do? What can I do what, you know, to, to kind of like help reverse or you know, deal with these things? So what, do you, what have you come up with? Because no, really, <laughs> I, I lose sleep over this. So. Well, the thing is, is that, is that when, you know, it's, it may sound silly, but, you know. And by the way, the head of the APA quote said, I'm not losing sleep over this. That was his quote. The A, the EPA. The EPA, yeah. Well, the Environmental Protection we should all be agency. losing sleep yeah. over this because yeah. Boston and New York are going to be like Venice if we don't. And and, and there's certain things that we actually cannot but the food reverse. Will be at this worse. Point. <clears throat> yeah, it's going to be. We're, yeah. we're, we'll be in in very bad shape. Um, <clears throat> what occurs to me is that when I'm in my kitchen, and there happens to be a piece of plastic or a piece of newspaper or paper. I have to, you know, I typically put it in our recycling bin, but I'm thinking about it even more now than ever before. And and I've thought many times, you know, it's only one milk carton or it's just one plastic fork. And when I'm about to throw it into the trash, I think, geez, you know, I'm going to take it to the recycling bin. And then I think, is this going to make a difference? And the answer is... yes. Yes. Yeah, we're at an inflection point. This will make a difference. Because, it, you know, yeah. it's like if everybody did that. Yeah. It would make a big there difference. There was a time when everybody littered and then everybody stopped. Yeah. There was a time where everybody dropped their cigarette butts in the ground. People don't do that. It, these we, things are changeable. I was just thinking of that littering thing, yeah. you know? This is the time to do it. This is the time so to I'm, do it. So I do lose sleep over it, but I am optimistic. I, I think the climate will change, but I'm optimistic that we can slow this down and we can adapt. Me too. Me too. If we all chip in. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks, great, everybody, for listening. Yeah, this, have a great summer. This has been a great season. So uh, see you next time. I'm Gene Bereson. And I'm Steve Schlossman. Take care. Take care.